Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome. Our guest today is Drew Erdman, and Drew served as the Chief Operating Officer of the State of Missouri from February 2017 to April 2021. Under two governors, he was responsible for leading the management transformation across the State of Missouri's 16 cabinet departments, which equates to a roughly 45,000 employees. Among these enterprise reforms were establishing Missouri's first cross-departmental operational excellence community and prioritizing leadership development and skill building at all levels. Welcome to the show, Drew. Great to be here. Thanks very much for having me on, Patrick. Absolutely. Uh, So when you first started with the state of Missouri back in 2017, uh, I have to imagine that it was difficult uh, because I know you transitioned from the private sector. But I'm curious, what what level of continuous improvement experience did these 45,000 employees have? Yeah, across the enterprise, what I learned pretty rapidly, you know, starting, of course, with an assessment phase. And basically, there were a few departments that had some pockets of goodness, There's one or two departments that actually did have continuous improvement or lean programs. But for the most part, let's just say, you know, 14 out of 16 departments, nothing to start with. Wow. And and that's from frontline up to leaders. Of course, there are pockets of people who may have had some individual experience. But in terms of, you know, actual departments with some programs, maybe two out of 16. Wow. Okay. And and so coming into that, what, what, what did your private sector experience look like? Well, coming into it, had a diverse background, had served in the federal government, and then had served for over a decade as a management consultant, both for private sector and public sector organizations uh, in the United States and overseas as well. So it came with a pretty good background in in management and continuous improvement by the time I set foot uh, in the hallways in Jefferson City, Missouri. Sure. Well, I, I have to imagine this was a huge undertaking. Uh, what, what was your, I heard you mention assessment. I mean, what was your, t- you, your and your team's approach to introducing operational excellence to the state of Missouri government? Well, you know, again, it, it started with that assessment and, and just being very, very realistic, quite frankly. You know, you have to take people where they are. You have to meet them where they are. And for many of the leaders in the public sector, they had never been introduced to these concepts at all. Many of them had never even heard of them. A majority of people hadn't heard of a Gantt chart Mm -hmm. as an example. Uh, And and maybe we'll get into the reasons for that when we talk about the differences between the public sector and the private sector. But pretty rapidly had to make a critical design decision. We could focus our energies on maybe one or two departments and build up goodness and then try and scale from there Mm -hmm. or do a broad front approach and try and build up momentum and then push forward in that way. And made the decision that it it was going to be most important, actually, to try and do a broad front approach. It had difficulties, but there was some very, very good reasons why we we did that. And I think overall it turned out successful. Okay. So do you mind sharing uh, maybe some of those reasons? Uh, Because, you know, a lot of times people think about, you know, going to a, a model area or starting small and you chose a different route. So I'm curious to hear reasons behind that. I'm sure you had good reasons. I just want to know uh, what they were. Yeah, absolutely. And so this comes back to some of the differences maybe with the private sector. Okay. In in the public sector, it's a great question, which is, you know, looking at the pros and cons, 
Here's some of the features that I was looking at, and I'll say I didn't articulate them publicly at the time, but it's the underlying rationale, which is you have to accept in these public sector organizations, you know, a Department of Revenue or a Department of Social Services, Department of Corrections, usually those roles have their leaders turn over pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Also, it's often driven by political timetables and, and dynamics, right? So just very realistically, you say to yourself, wait a second, there's going to be turmoil or changes in these leadership positions. And coming in, there were some departments in the preceding decade had had a different leader every year or every 18 months. Right? So if you, if you start to say to yourself, wait a second, there isn't going to be continuity at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit unpredictable. Then the idea was, wait, if we're going to build this approach, we need to build a community that's resilient and basically a network of practitioners a bit deeper in the organization, quite frankly, that are not so dependent on top level support. Mm. Now, of course, that's absolutely essential, but it's, but it's just a realistic appraisal of if we're in a situation where there could be turnover significantly at the upper echelons of these organizations, and sometimes quite frequently, let's build a community, let's build a network. And in order to do that, you don't want to be dependent on any one department that could be, quite frankly, less resilient if it's really dependent on only one or two leaders at the top. Sure. That makes sense. So you, so really, you were focused on developing the system. And then your your hope is or was that leadership would come in and just adopt that system or support that system as churn and, and change happened at the le- at the executive leadership level. What was your experience with that? Did you feel like, again, you, you know, you, you were in that position uh, through under two different governors uh, and I'm sure lots of other changes at the executive level. Uh, did you feel like the system that you created was accepted and supported through the different changes in leadership? Yeah, great question. And I should say that we actively involved the senior leaders in the development of this. And, and I want to be clear about this of you know, not forcing anyone, uh, so to speak, you know, active partnership. But it's also a realistic appraisal. And mm-hmm. I, I do want to stress this, Patrick, which is just it's a very realistic appraisal. I think this is true in the private sector, public sector. We had some awesome, fantastic champions and advocates and leaders. Mm-hmm. They tended to be those with a private sector background, or for example, we had one who, who had experience as a Marine, et cetera. People with more diverse backgrounds, private sector, they tended to be champions. Others needed to learn. And also, very pragmatically, you can't expect every senior leader to be fully embrace changes that maybe they hadn't seen or experienced in 20 or 30 years. So, but we were actively engaged in trying to co-create and build this community. We also, I, I do want to stress that, you know, the approach was kind of a T-shaped approach, meaning mm. there are certain expectations for every department, but then where there was success or where it went deeper, we went deep to drive as far and as fast as possible. And that usually was tied to oftentimes the most supportive leaders as well. So I don't want to disassociate that. Yeah. But what we also did was we had to kind of jumpstart things with a massive infusion of basic training and capability building. Mm. Okay. So, and this is at all levels because quite frankly, if you have a, a significant number of people who have never used a Gantt chart before, or have never used data in making decisions before, don't know the basics of project management, let alone getting to some more advanced concepts 
Mm-hmm. You need to do some of that big, significant investment to get people, you know, wet their appetite, get them excited, celebrate success. And then we also did significant investment in terms of building up a group or a cadre of people with greenbelt capabilities and having them begin working on projects. Again, that is, you know, very, very practical. Do learn, do learn from each other, build a community. And in some places it took off. In other departments, it took a little slower for those routes to get settled in. But it's very, very practical approach. Sure. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and you and I talked a little bit about the the approach when we were at the, the state of Nebraska uh, summit this last year. Uh, and, and I heard you mention Greenbelt. That was going to be my next question was uh, when, it, when it came to training, what did you guys choose? What, you know, what were there any yeah. lean concepts involved? It sounds like some project management. Uh, and then obviously I'm hearing some Six Sigma uh, type stuff. Was, it, was there anything specifically topic wise that you felt was needed to be stressed uh, outside of the, the project management piece? Again, great question. And and we did start with some of the real basics, which were basics of project management. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, a white belt equivalent, you know, kind of sampling of core concepts, okay. you know, five whys, you know, et cetera. And we also wanted to introduce uh, performance measures. This was also tied up to other parts of state government tied to our budget. Mm-hmm. But that was also one of our levers, so to speak, was getting people to think through their programs and say, wait a second, the really basic thing of what are we doing here? What's our objective? How do we measure it? What's our current state? What's our aspirational state? Also getting people to ask the question of, well, how do others do it? Mm-hmm. You know, how do other state organizations do it? Or how does the private sector do what we're doing? So that was also a major push, for example, on performance measures. And that's something that on each one of those we talked about, we developed actually uh, tailored, locally grown training. Okay. Some of it was delivered in person. Some of it, including at the end, obviously because of the COVID challenges, remotely. But we also then had uh, a number of people through partnership with Dartmouth, their mm-hmm. Tuck School, and their Thayer School have some you know, remote uh, Greenbelt training, and also Ohio State University as mm. well, different programs. So we contracted to have some specific programs to jumpstart that more advanced training of people in every department who, ha- who would have Greenbelt capabilities. Yeah, so important. Uh, what what level of coaching did you uh, did you provide to the the, the green belts and the in the white belts that were going through the program? Yeah, I think this is a this is definitely one of the learnings. We were trying to move pretty fast, and I think that what we learned from that is, in some cases, you want to go slow to go fast. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a, uh, such an important surprise. point right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And so I think that what one of the big lessons we learned was. Uh, at first, actually, with a number of the green belts, and not just in terms of mentorship, it was actually the the selection of the people who were getting the training. We would defer, you know, and this goes to deferring to the local leaders to choose the people for the training. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, in some cases, they were you know absolutely the right people, right mindset, right will, right role. They were going to get the support. In other cases departments quite frankly used oh there's this training we're going to use that as like almost a reward and recognition mm-hmm. for someone mm-hmm. and they weren't necessarily thinking they were, 
you know, quite frankly, the leaders weren't thinking in terms of how will this person use the training? It's more like this person's been good. Let's give them additional training. Uh, okay. We, we did learn uh, to be much more focused on thinking through like what's the follow-on, what's the project. Let's make sure that this isn't just a, a classroom experience. Let's make sure that there's, you know, ongoing. And I should note that, for example, the Ohio State when we were working with Ohio State, they would provide ongoing coaching through the duration of the project and the training, for example. Nice. Very good. That's great. Uh, so you, we've obviously talked a little bit about the, the private sector and, and the public sector, and you mentioned that you know, one of the differences being uh, senior leadership and, and just how that, uh, how that you know, change, changes frequently in, in uh, the public sector. What other differences, major differences, uh, did you see in, in going from the private sector to the public sector? Anything else besides the, the senior leadership? As a starting point, you know, oftentimes people create the, the dichotomy between the two as if it's a huge gap, right? And I, I come back to my starting point, which is I'm a big believer of, you know, people are people, organizations are organizations, processes mm -hmm. are processes. For the most part, there are some qualifications to this, but for the most part, it's not radically different between public sector and private sector when you get to some of the topics we're talking about. Mm -hmm. right? And the second proposition is what, what I've already mentioned. You know, you really need to meet people where they are. But this comes back to the assessment. What I would just note is, and it was surprising to me, even with past public sector experience, that it was unusual to find, you know, again, leaders who are running multi-billion dollar operations in some cases with thousand thousands of employees who, you know, hadn't used a Gantt chart before or didn't really know the basics of project management fundamentals or, you know, some of these basic concepts that in the private sector, if you had people running enterprises or facilities, they would have been introduced to. They may not be masters of, they may have different perspectives on, but the lack of familiarity was just something that needed to uh, tackle. And that comes back to, you know, kind of the application of those, you know, the five whys, you know, or iceberg model of really just saying, like, what, what are the mindsets here? Why, is the, why would well-meaning, smart people, because these are all smart, capable people, mm -hmm. right? Why would they be operating this way? And in many cases, it was this radical underinvestment in basic human capital, I think, you know, that's one. And then the second part is that when you think about the public sector at times, and I'm going to focus on state, which is very different than in the military where there's much more structured education and formal certifications as people move through as officers or NCOs, as you know. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a, a rigorous education machine. Mm -hmm. But in, in state government, you don't have people trained to be executives. They're subject matter experts mm -hmm. who rise. They're good at running a prison. They're really good as a social worker. They may be good as a workforce development or higher education analyst, right? They may have expertise. In well, they rise up, but they don't get the training to be executives. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I would note that came through, which is because of this, and just a little bit of a story, which is you end up also, quite frankly, with some folks who aren't really interested in continuous improvement. And just as a quick example, I once went to a department leader and very introductory kind of conversations. I said, how do you know if things are working here in your department? The person has years of experience. And what she said was, well, I know things are going well as long as I'm not getting complaints from members of the General Assembly. 
Hmm. the legislative branch hmm. and you just have to say to yourself well that's like the ultimate lagging indicator right. <laughs> of anything <laughs> but also the idea of everything is good unless i'm getting complaints mm-hmm. right and that i think is also was a mindset that for many folks you know that builds up through years which is mm-hmm. hey as long as no one's complaining we must be doing okay so that's what we do let's do what we did did uh tomorrow so that's mm-hmm. a very different kind of starting point very much so wow i I can't even imagine that that would that that would be very difficult to overcome uh, especially across a such a large organization should stress that's not the i i chose one example at one end of the spectrum you know and there's at the other end of the spectrum you have people who had private sector experience who are absolutely energized and of course there there are people uh you know really committed talented public servants who are looking for the way forward and they're like this is awesome i mean they're Mm -hmm. committed to their jobs they believe it they're mission oriented and so then when you give them that opportunity it's like you know rocket fuel they take off right absolutely so there's and and i know there's listeners that are both in the private world as well as in the public world that are uh listening in right now how, how do we bridge the gap between the private sector techniques and the government? How do, how do we, what can we learn, you know, that, that uh, can be applied for those that are listening in? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of core lessons here. And I, I, I do come back to the, you know, starting with the proposition, whatever your team is, you know, starting with, you got to meet them where they are. Right? I mean, I just really believe that it is just a foundational principle. I think that's true, whatever culture private sector, public sector, wherever you are in the world, you've mm-hmm. got to kind of say, where is my team at? And let's let's be realistic about that. Let's be empathetic about that. And let's go on a journey together. Right. So, you know, that's number one. And I think that also number two is I would never underestimate the, the power of people who want to be empowered. Mm-hmm. Right? The power of people who maybe have not had those opportunities. And now when, when there's those opportunities, they can really step forward. I think that's, you know, that cuts across organizations. The other, you know, another couple of lessons that I take away from it. One was one of the big unlocks for us in the state government was actually to get a great homegrown leader. Mm. Okay. Not a leader who's, you know, expert black belt from, you know, private sector. We went through different approaches. But what emerged was this absolutely, you know, inspiring, you know, homegrown leader. Her name is Cindy Dixon, and she runs the operational excellence community now in the state of Missouri. She had the culture, the credibility, the commitment, right? And I think that that was the big unlock is getting someone who could serve as the translator and who'd be credible to bridge the gap. And I think that that's something that is that is arguably a universal lesson. Mm. Um, and I can imagine some exceptions in certain situations, but this comes back to being attuned to the culture. If you're looking for that long-term acceptance, it's great to find that homegrown leader who can bridge the gap and bring people along. Oh, sure. Drew, you, ha- you got to tell us more about this operational excellence community of practitioners that you, that you uh, have mentioned a few times here. Uh, you, you know, you had 16 departments and, and each one of those departments had very different missions. I mean, you, you, you had the, the, the conservation to cor- corrections, you had economic development to public health. I mean, so many different areas that you were, you know, overseeing and obviously your, your team, but how did this community come about and, and what does it look like today? Yeah, it's great questions, Patrick. And this this was by design because 
for exactly the reasons you highlighted, the work of the state government departments, and this is you know analogous sometimes to business units as well, right? Can be incredibly diverse and, quite frankly, very siloed, right? And one of the things that we deliberately wanted to overcome from the start is, you know, I've been using the word community, and this comes back to the idea of we want a resilient network or community that can withstand change and that mm-hmm. will support each other. So what we did from the start was a couple things. One is those requests to every department. Every department had to have a operational excellence leader that would serve as their liaison. Okay. Now, quite frankly, some of those were part-time. Some of those were full-time. Some of those were voluntold, <laughs> right? Some of those were eager volunteers. So we had a mix, but that was like a starting point. And then what was deliberate was just saying, look, recognize that the vast majority of these people have other jobs, so to speak. It's at the start of the journey. Their leaders may not fully support a full FTE involved in this effort. Mm -hmm. So what we started was, okay, let's just work on some things together. Let's get to know each other. Let's take a few basic things. Let's learn together. And so it may sound really mechanical in a way, but it was the kind of stuff of, okay, what's our website? What's our logo? What's our core trainings? Oh, how do we divide up the labor among us? And the only requirement was for the the starting point for the members of this community was they do one cross-department thing. We had Mm -hmm. a list of different activities, and that got people working together to begin putting together the basics. In addition to doing the basic training, in addition to getting the vast majority got green belts, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it started to build the community that way, kind of organically by working together. Mm-hmm. There's also quite a lot of uh, turnover as you know the right people were getting identified for the right roles. We had an operating rhythm that brought the community together every month. We didn't have meetings for the sake of meetings, but we were working on things together. So they felt you know co-creation. They were building something together. Mm-hmm. I do want to come back to you. You know, once we got to the point where Cindy Dixon was leading it, that is just absolutely fantastic as well as a credible long-term public servant that everyone knew and respected, mm-hmm. that also made a uh, big difference in terms of building up and getting the momentum starting at first. Sure, sure. And and really what you what you came into were, uh, which I'm sure most people would, would resonate with, is the term silo, right? There were silos yeah. between departments. Yeah. And so I, I love that you... you uh, you kind of, I, I hate to use the word force, but I don't know what the right word here is, but you, you encourage them uh, through giving them like, okay, just one thing you have to work cross department. You, you must yep. work together on just one, one item. One thing. Yeah. One thing. So it, it's not it, very simple, right? Uh, it seems like a simple task. Uh, I, I imagine that you had some challenges with that. Any, any challenges that you could share with, with us uh, on well, just it, inner department, you know, yeah. projects and things? Well, it, well, at the start, on some of these basic things, people were willing to you know, raise their hands. And, of course, there would be the people who oftentimes it would be, hey, I've got the rest of my job. My boss back home doesn't fully understand or expect the level of commitment to be as much as this. You know, things, things like that came about. Sure. But I'd turn it around and say I think that there are, you know, we also use these as opportunities to celebrate successes, to learn from each other, to kind of get energized about building, you know, opportunities together and when the time came under stress for example under covid this also provided a network where people helped each other out Mm -hmm. right so there are certain activities where they wouldn't have necessarily had the relationships before across departments and also people had been used to working across departments and so 
we had under the stress of you know some of the COVID situations, we actually had department staff from some departments helping out other departments, like in call centers and other things. So, so it's a broader cross-department collaboration. But I would also note that you know very very tactically, and can talk about some of the other activities of the community. But through building up these skills and capabilities, when the challenges hit, for example, in the COVID environment, we had to set up a call center in in literally a few days to handle all the incoming information requests related to, to COVID. Oh, I'm sure. And at the center of putting that together was many of the people from the operational excellence community. Mm. Like they were able to mobilize, put together, get the right data, begin analyzing, all of that kind of stuff. And if it weren't for the investments beforehand in building up this community and building up the skills, you know, I don't think we could have practically done things like that mm. very, very, very rapidly and also kind of in a cross-department way, supporting, you know, the individual lead departments. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing to hear that. And, and you know, a lot of us don't hear, we, don't, we know that there's been a lot of things that, you know, the operate, operational excellence lean that our community has done, you know, through COVID. Uh, it's good to, to hear those those little tidbits and things that are happening that, 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 you know, that you wouldn't have known otherwise. So thanks for sharing that. What are some of the other successes that the operational excellence community was able to achieve uh, under your leadership? Well, again, I would, uh, wouldn't put it under my leadership. I think it's, you know, this community that's, that's grown. And I think, you know, the, the most important thing, uh, Patrick, is that it, it comes to that point is it's not my leadership. What I mean is this mm-hmm. community, and it continues on. Yes. So this is what I'd say is I left state government, you know, basically uh, a year ago. Mm-hmm. And what's fantastic is that the community under Cindy Dixon's leadership and other leaders, sure. it has continued on. And so there's a series of things that they do. And I'm going to speak about the community aspect, not necessarily individual uh, projects, but happy to note some of those. But the community leads a summit of operational excellence practitioners it's going to be its fourth this year they did their third last year these these bring together about 2000 people virtually mm-hmm. across the country mostly missouri but also across the country awesome they're open to anyone who wants and also the recordings are available on the, the their website as well so nice. like open you know absolutely fantastic they run something called the Show Me Challenge, which is an annual challenge for grassroots creativity within our departments in the state government to solve problems. They pitch their ideas, kind of Shark Tank. They mm. get through. It's a competition. And if they win, they get meaningful amounts of cash prizes, wow. you know, these team members. So and then that's also celebrated, right? You know, the, you know recognition, celebration. They, they put out the, their white belt training. That's available for all state employees. It's awesome. Very, very rapidly. This was done in the last few months. 13% of the state workforce has done, you know, it's a big organization. Mm -hmm. But four departments, basically, four out of the 16 departments, 100% of their people have gone through white belt training. Wow. There's also such things as connected to a partnership where we were building a tableau community in terms of also data visualization, et cetera. So, the, you know, standard dashboards across departments and things like that. We went from around 22,000, 23,000 views of our dashboards in the state of Missouri. This is internal. Last August, a threefold increase in the use of those dashboards by January 2022 wow. to, to 73, 74, 75 
thousand views, mm. right? So these are some of the successes of the continued momentum. That's at the community level, and I want to stress that. And of course, then it's down at the individual level. And I should note that you know to inspire others, and it could be private sector or public sector, can go to the Show Me Excellence website. That's the name for the community. Okay. Showmeexcellence.mo.gov, and there are case studies, you know, one-page case studies of successes for every single department that really bring some of the the tactical, practical, more grassroots continuous improvement projects to life with the illustration of what they did and what their impact was. Oh, so it's really huge. exciting to see. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's all free on the website, which is, it's all free. Yeah. Really it's nice all too. free and available. It's a government, you know, it is open to everybody again, show me excellence.mo.gov. And as I said, the, the, the videos of the past, uh, trainings, mm-hmm. which in past summits, they're available, there are playbooks and things like that for people to use and learn from. And so it's always been part of a broader community as well, explicitly so, with other state governments, but also wanting to bring in private sector expertise as well to have that dialogue get stronger through it. Nice. And we'll make sure that we throw that uh, website on the show notes as well. Drew, do you have any lessons from your experience that may be relevant to other leaders who are trying to embed continuous improvement into their organization's culture? And this could be in the private sector, the public sector, nonprofit, I mean, anywhere. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of the we've, we've touched upon looking for that great leader, who's going to be leading this community, who has the credibility. And, and as I said, our secret unlock was someone from within. There may be exceptions, a dynamic leader from the outside who can cross the cultural divide. But I do come back to, you know, obviously, who's going to be the person waking up and going to sleep every night really committed to building this community? And that mindset of building a community for the long haul it's not just about one project. It's about building, you know, a network. The other thing that I would stress, and this is for any, you know, any uh, organization, any team, there is an element here of wash, rinse, repeat, right? Mm-hmm. You can't be one and done. It needs to be wash, rinse, repeat. And that's to build up those habits. That's to build up those muscles. It's also, again, to bring people along, right? You know, quite frankly, sometimes just seeing it once, it doesn't fully get embedded with someone. And just as a quick example, there is this one public servant who I worked with who had been part of a leadership academy class. I knew him very, very well. And after a few years, he he was very candid with me and he said, Drew, the first time you presented and we did training related to uh, performance measures and use of data for our teams, he goes, didn't really get it. Hmm. The second year, I started to get it and I could see how it could be applied to other teams, but not to the management of my team. He goes, it was the third year of going through the process, and in this case, it was tied to the budget cycle and budget project. It was, it was the third time that then I, you know, then the light bulbs went off. Hmm. And so that's what I also come back to of, of you know, you, you just need to be patient. You need to take people where they are. This is, you know, a very smart, very talented, well-meaning. This was someone who was leaning in. It just did take, you know, a series of reps, mm-hmm. right? And so I do think that that's also one of the very patient kind of perspectives that you need in any any change program. And the flip side of it is, you know, quite frankly, you know, can't be naive. Mm-hmm. You know, some folks won't necessarily be supportive. Some folks will learn. Some folks won't. And I always came back to the very practical perspective of we can't move at the pace of the slowest moving boat in this convoy. Mm-hmm. 
Very true. We're going to, we're going to keep moving. We have a pace. We can calibrate to some extent, but in some cases you just can't move at the slowest boat in your convoy. Mm-hmm. And that's just a very practical decision as well. And I think that's true across any one of, you know, private sector, public sector. And if I could just say one last thing, what I come back to is ultimately all of this. And I know Patrick, this is the core that, that you emphasize, you know, it's ultimately about mindsets, about how people approach what they do every day. What's the art of the possible, how to energize them, how to give them those opportunities where they have a say in control and creating how they work and find solutions. And that I think is also translates across public sector, private sector, of never lose sight of, you know, ultimately this is about understanding and helping people shift their mindsets. Mm. Such good advice, Drew. Uh, this is this has been great. Uh, I, I feel like we could just keep talking forever uh, on this, and 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 I love the the connection too because everything that you're talking about makes sense across again any private, public, nonprofit. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. So if if you if anyone is listening in and they're not seeing that, just listen to this a second time or a third time, right, Drew? They'll get it yeah. one of those times uh, because it, it does connect. And uh, I, I so much appreciate everything that you said today. Drew, if there's uh, if someone wants to reach out to you uh, or connect with you with maybe some further questions, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. The best way, uh, number one, people can follow me on Twitter, uh, do a little bit of work there. And that's at Drew Erdman. So it's just at Drew Erdman. And then also people can reach out to me through LinkedIn. So Andrew Perfect. Erdman or Drew Erdman, they should be able to track me down. Okay. And then can you just say that website one more time that you mentioned that for the state of Missouri, for the community that, sure. that we can uh, access? Absolutely. And, and really encourage people to go there. It is show me excellence, just spelled out, no dots, no dashes, period, M-O for Missouri, and then period, gov. So show me excellence dot mo dot gov that will get you to the state's website perfect and like i said we will put the your contacts uh your social media contacts as well as the 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 website into the show notes so if anyone does want to go there they can click on the the uh, link and go directly to the website drew again it's been amazing to to, uh, see you again it's been a while since you and i have connected so it was great to to catch up and uh, just love hearing about your journey with the state of missouri and and excited to you know see what what's next on your journey and and i hope to connect again in the near future to to talk about uh, some other great learnings that you've had at at other places well thanks so much patrick for the opportunity to really talk about the great work of some really fantastic public servants that often aren't recognized. You know, they're working behind the scenes to do great things for citizens. And it's not just in Missouri. There's a lot of great programs across the country. So it's fantastic just to give a little bit of a, a window into, you know, public servants trying to make things better. But as you highlighted, these are transferable across any sector. Mm-hmm. People are people, organizations are organizations, processes are processes. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Drew. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.